You can talk back. It's okay. <laughs> My name's Robert, and uh, I am a pastor at Mercy House in Amherst, Massachusetts. Some of you know Justin and Rebecca Iwerks, they're part of this church. They, uh, they were students in our student ministry in that church back when we were first getting started, first, first planting. And uh, so it's, it's pretty exciting for me to see them and to, to see this church as it continues on in, in its mission. And we've been talking about community. It's not working, is it? I, I can probably do it now. Can you guys hear me okay? Yep. Yeah. Just, just roll, okay. Well, I'll start moving around then. Um, we, instead of, when we, when we began to talk about community, we didn't really talk initially about relationships with each other, did we? we those of you that were on the retreat, we, we started looking up. And we, we talked about worship, which is really at the heart of the church. This is what fuels us, is this gospel-ignited worship. And then once, once we get that, then, then we can go in. And so we, we looked in and, and found out that we were selfish, and that by the grace of the gospel and the power of the spirit, that God takes that selfishness, that does a transformation, and develops humility in our inmost places. And then out of that, then we're able to start to look out. And we talked about spiritual gifts a little bit, and just how we function in the church, loving one another well. And in, in any kind of healthy church that has experienced that worship and that internal transformation and that looking out and loving one another, they also need to take the next step, which is then to be on a mission out in the world. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, some of this morning, how community and uh, commission or mission uh, hold together. Um, Jesus says this, this stunning thing to a group much smaller than the group of folks that are in this room right now. Uh, just about a dozen people. He's standing there with them. He's in his resurrected form. And uh, he says this. He says, uh, Acts verse uh, 8 of chapter 1, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Think about that. He's talking to just a handful of people, and he's saying, this is going to turn into a worldwide movement, starting in your backyard, Jerusalem, which is where they were at the moment, and moving out regionally to Judea, and then to Samaria, which is an uncomfortable place, different culture, just not a place that they would have wanted to go. And then even beyond that, places they didn't even weren't able to even imagine to the ends of the earth, even in lower Manhattan in 2011. And from, from the get-go, Jesus is thinking, he, he is teaching them, this church thing is going to be a movement. It's going to be a worldwide <coughs> movement. And so they hear that, and I'm sure they didn't really get what he was saying. They go back to Jerusalem. They do obey him in terms of waiting for the Spirit. Spirit does come at Pentecost. Peter preaches the first Christian sermon. It goes really, really well. Uh, about 3,000 people say, sign me up. I want to become a Christian. I want to join in being a part of the church. And they become this amazing church. And they are loving one another well. They are devoted to uh, God's word. They're praying. Uh, they have this amazing generosity in their fellowship where they're, where they're taking care of each other's needs. That, they are also on a, a mission, and it's, it's going really well. It says that people are adding to their number daily, those who are, are becoming Christians and becoming a part of, of, 
their fellowship. But the only problem is that no one's leaving Jerusalem. Remember that part that we just read, Acts 1a? Jesus saying, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. No one's leaving. They're just, they're just staying in, in this tight-knit community, growing in Christ, doing a lot of good things that, that you're supposed to do and be devoted to as, as a healthy church. But no one's leaving. No one's being sent out, like Jesus had described at the beginning of the, the book of Acts. And as we know, this did eventually become a worldwide movement. I mean, they, in 300 years, they go from being a group of a, just a small group of people to 20 million and, and they essentially take over the Roman Empire, right? I mean, this, this, it's an amazing thing that happens. And this is the epicenter, this little church in Jerusalem. But, but they don't seem to get it right at first. And so through the sovereignty of God, they are given a little boost, a little push in the form of persecution. And so one day, one of their best, one of their A-team, I mean, he's on the core team. He is a deacon. He's... His name is Stephen. He, he is a humble servant. He, he, he is spirit-filled. He great teacher, great apologist. I mean, this guy is, is one of their best. He gets killed. He bleeds and he dies for the movement. First one, other than Jesus, of course, who bleeds and dies. It's not one of the apostles, kind of interesting, but Stephen, who heard eyewitness testimony and put his faith in Christ based on the testimony of the apostles. He's the radical, the first one that lays his life down and he bleeds for the movement. And, and because of that, something happens. We heard Ryan read it just, just a moment ago. And this is on the back of your program. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That doesn't sound very good, does it? Everyone's gone. Everyone's scattering. Everyone's afraid. No, they don't want to get killed. And, and so only the apostles are the ones that are willing to stay put and say, I don't care. If they can come kill me. I, it's fine. But everyone else who's this new follower of this new movement, they just start scattering. Well, turns out to be a good thing. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. And again, we're tracking through these different scriptures, and they're on the back of your program. It says, now those who've been scattered, there's that word again, by the persecution in connection with Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Interesting. So they, they do get out of Jerusalem, but, but they, they only speak the gospel to Jews, and they're not in Jewish country. It's, it's sort of like... A white person being in a black neighborhood looking for a white person to ask directions from. Right? Not wanting to, to talk to and reach out to the person that's different to them. Although we shouldn't give them a hard time because it's hard enough for most of us to tell people about Jesus who are just like us. Much less people that are very different culturally and otherwise. But, but thankfully, in, in every movement, every church, there, there's some crazies. Some people that are just willing to, to step across barriers and boundaries and, and do the unthinkable. And there was a, a handful of folks, as they were being scattered, they did the unthinkable, and they reached out to people who were not like them. Verse 20 of Acts 11 says, Some of them, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, 
went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. This is big. Right? There, 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 there's there Jewish purity laws. There's, there's uh, eating issues, going into a person's house. I mean, it, this, is, this is a big moment. And how does God respond to these crazies who, who do the unthinkable, reach out across those boundaries and those barriers, and they uh, sow the gospel in people's lives? Well, this is what God does. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. God's all over it. It's like he's saying, yes! That's what I had in mind! See, when Jesus said what he said in Acts 1.8, and that wasn't necessarily a strategy for the church, it was just a prophecy. God was going to get that done. But the Holy Spirit, through the church, be it warts and all, was going to get the gospel out of Jerusalem, and it was going to move out of there to Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And when God sees... Those crazies step out, reach across those boundaries and barriers. He just pours his Holy Spirit out on that moment. And Greeks, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, begin to respond to the gospel. Now news of this gets to headquarters. Right? Chapter 11, verse 22 says, News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, I'm not sure how Barnabas got this job. I'm, I'm wondering maybe if they drew straws, flipped the coin. I, I don't know. It's interesting that none of the apostles went to check this thing out. They say, hey, Barnabas, you, 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 you take care of this. Barney is, is, is the man for the job. And Barnabas goes. And again, in the sovereignty of God, Barnabas was the right guy. Because here's what happens when Barnabas gets there. Verse 23 says, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was Glad, He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number, there's that phrase again, of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas gets there. He's, he's got a little better sense, a little more grounding in the gospel and, and in Christian doctrine. And he starts to teach and starts to unpack some of that. And man, the, the, the Greeks that are there in Antioch, they just start responding to it. And again, a great number of people come to know Christ and are gathered in that little, it's going to be a church plant eventually, of Antioch. Really, this is the first church plant of all time. I don't really count Jerusalem. 3,000 people, first sermon. Come on, that's, that's not a church plant. Antioch's a church plant. For a little, little group of people, somebody that, that, that was willing to step across some scary barriers and, and do something new in an apostolic kind of way, and notice that those are not the apostles, they're people, that don't even, we don't know their names at all. They're just everyday people filled with God's Spirit who have enough of the gospel to pass it on to someone else. Those are the kinds of folks that planted the first church of all time. And Barnabas gets to be a part of of that. Now, now what's Barnabas going to do now? Maybe start a mega church, right? Or, or write some books, maybe start a podcast. Or No, he does something very odd. It, it, to us, at least, it's very odd. Here he's got this, this ministry that is just going so well, and people are, great numbers are joining his church. He leaves to go get Saul. Did you catch that when, when Ryan was reading that, verse 25? He says, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for 
Saul, yeah, same guy that was part of the persecution. It was like chasing Christians around and killing them. And that guy, he became a Christian. You can read about his testimony in Acts chapter 9 and the other places in Acts. And he became a Christian. And the apostles were like, don't call us, we'll call you. We do not want to talk to you. And he's just hanging out in Tarsus. No idea what he's supposed to do with his life. And Barnabas remembers Paul, Saul, at that time. That, hey, God, kid had some gifts, had some potential. I'm going to go get him, and I'm going to go bring him and make him part of the team, of the community. Because here's, here's what Barnabas understood. He understood that if you're going to be on a mission, you've got to be in a community. And he knew by himself, he couldn't do what he needed to do for that church of Antioch. So he started building his team. And he pulled Saul into, into that team, into his community, in order to be on this extraordinary mission that God had called him to be. And it goes really, really well. It says, for a whole year, Barnabas, Saul, met with the church, taught great numbers of people. There's that phrase again. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That's significant. Called Christians, little Christs. They made such an influence in the community. They, they didn't call themselves Christians. The people from the outside of the church looking in called them Christians. That's how they got the name. Look at those little Christs. They were living out the gospel in such a way that the, that the, that the, the city of Antioch was taking notice of it and gave the Christians nickname. So here's this fledgling church plant, right? It, it, it's full of new believers, people that don't really you know, know the gospel that well, don't know their doctrine all that well, they, they haven't been trained by you know, the, the apostles. You know. what, what are they going to do? Well, it, you're, you're, you're going to be amazed at what they do. Right? Verse 27, it says, during the time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the Roman world. And Luke throws in, this happened during the reign of Claudius, by the way. It actually happened. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. It's an amazing act of grace. I don't know if you're catching that. But here, these Gentile believers who are being looked at with suspicion by the Jerusalem church. Like, are you really Christians? Like, you don't eat kosher, you're not circumcised. Are you, are you really a Christian? Their response to that is to go send money to them to make sure that they're taken care of during famine. This church gets it. They're not just a community. They're on a mission as a community. They get it. It's not just about them. It's about all those other people. That they are on a mission to serve, to love, to reach with the gospel. Even those that were looking at them with suspicion. <laughs> Amazing moment where you can see the health, vitality of this little church in Antioch. And God's not done with them yet. I mean, it just gets more incredible as you read the story of this little church. Acts 13, verse 1 says, In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius, Cyrene, Nain, Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord. There they are, right? Worshiping and fasting the Holy Spirit, 
said. And before we look at what the Holy Spirit says, notice how tight-knit this community is. This is a, it's a group of men. They're coming together. They're, they're worshiping. They're fasting. They're praying. I mean, there's such vitality there. And, and so here, here the Holy Spirit's about to speak something to this very vital community. And this is what he says. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. What? Send out the A-team? I mean, come on. These are our top pastors, right? These are our church staff. And God's, God's saying, I want you to send them out. It's crazy. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. And here's what they do. It says, after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, and they sent them off. They didn't even flinch. They didn't say, no, did we hear him right? No, we couldn't have heard him. No, no way. We're not saying that Paul and Barnabas. No way. No. They hear God saying, no, you're a community, and I have commissioned you to do something unique in the history of the church. Send them out. And they say, yes, I'll do that. They understand that the church is not a kirk, which is the German word where we get church from, but the church is an ecclesia. The ecclesia is, is the Greek word. Where we, when we see it's translated church, that's, that's, that's the word. And Athens had an ecclesia, and, and, and the Ephesus had an ecclesia, and it was a governing body. And it gathered, and it scattered. They were, they, were, they were the legislators of, of the community. And, and they were out of the community. And they were still members of the ecclesia when they were out as individuals. And people knew them. They knew who they were. They knew that they had been elected that position. But they were scattered all throughout the community. And then they would gather periodically and come together as a community to make decisions and, and, and lead out in the politics of Ephesus and Athens and places like that. And so the New Testament writers are being very strategic. And Jesus himself uses the word... Uh, in the Gospels, to say this is what the church is supposed to look like. Not a kirk, which is a German word for fortress, but an ecclesia, a gathered, scattered community that is on a mission. Yes, tight-knit, family, devoted, all those things, those of you that were on the retreat that we talked to, talked about, but also on this mission that, frankly, is crazy sometimes. It's crazy. It's expensive. It's sacrificial. It's difficult. Any church plant meeting in borrowed space knows what I'm talking about. Knows what I'm talking about. And I think part of why Antioch was so willing to do that is because it was fresh on their minds that people had done that for them. That somebody had sacrificed, somebody had bled, somebody had paid in order to plant the gospel in their lives and their hearts. And they knew that was their only hope and they were so grateful for the people that made that move out of their place of comfort, the culture they were used to, and they stepped out and they planted the gospel. Somebody did that for you. If, if you know Christ, you know Christ because somebody sacrificed, they laid their life down, they, they did what it took to plant the gospel somewhere in some little church, and because of that, you were able to hear the gospel, be ministered to, become Christian. You ever, you ever think about that? Somebody laid it down. 
so that you could know Christ. And now you get the opportunity to be commissioned in that same way. To step out and be a missionary. Commissioned by God. Because you are part of this ecclesia, this community of faith. Notice that when the church says, absolutely God, we will send out our top two best preachers, teachers, leaders. Verse 4 says, to the, the two of them sent out, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. What? Sent on by the Holy Spirit? I thought they were sent out by Antioch. Yeah. Sent out by the church. Ultimately sent out by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all over that. It's again God saying, yes! That's what I want! I want the church to not only be this tight-knit community, I want you to be commissioned. I want you to be on a mission reach whatever region that you're in and, and beyond as well. We planted uh, our church in September of 99 and through some different circumstances it became primarily college students. There's five colleges uh, in our area and it became this collegiate church before people thought that was even a good idea. And so we continued throughout the years primarily being a collegiate church. Some of those college students would, would stay around, and it's kind of hard to find jobs where we are, but some would, some got married, so we had a few families, um, but still, to this day, about two-thirds students. And I kept wanting to plant a church. I was thinking, we, we need to be a church-planting church. I want to be Antioch. I, I don't want to be Jerusalem. I want to be Antioch. And so to, at, at some, you know, to, it came to a head where it's almost like when you're going to have kids, right? Those of you that are married, it's like you're never ready to have kids. You're always thinking, if I have this much in the savings account or I get the better promotion or whatever, you're just, you're just <laughs> never financially ready. Well, that's how it felt to have this first church plant. We're not really ready, but we're, it's just time. And we sent out that first church plant. And their core, primary, primarily college students, I mean, it's crazy, a church... Most of the college students is like raising support to even pay their own pastor and sending out another core of college students to start another church in, in the same area. I mean, that, how stupid is this? This is not strategic in any way. And God was all over it. That church is, is called Vita Nova. It's, I mean, it's, they meet three blocks from us. And they're around 75 to 100 people after just a, a couple of years. God is like, Yes! That's what I want to do. I want to do that. I want to commission people to move out and be missionaries in this region and reach people with the gospel. The, the, the second church plant, I think, was even harder. Because <coughs> this church planter came, came in as part of our staff, was leading some community groups in a particular town that's about eight miles from us. And that those community groups became his, his core. And so our church of around 200, he left and, and took 40 with him. And they were mostly not students. They mostly were like people with jobs and gave money. And I'm just thinking, God, this, this is crazy. Right? And, and the number's not adding up. And just wondering, how is it that we're, we're going to make it? And the, the volunteers that are being you know, sent out that we're going to have to replace and those kinds of things. And this August came around, and I thought I had killed the church by church planting. I really thought it was. I, I came home from vacation. There was like a stack of bills. And I asked the treasurer, like, how much, how much is that? And, you know, and he said, I don't know. 
says, well, could you add that up for me and just let me know? And he's like, oh, okay, he adds it up. It's like $17,000. And I'm like, we're still paying heating oil bills in August. You know, it just it didn't look good. And I thought, okay, we're going down. We're going down. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm walking around Amherst College praying and standing in the lecture hall where we started. Like, God, it's been a great ride. Man, I just I really appreciate all you've done. And life's changed. And I'm thinking about my exit strategy. Literally. I mean, I was just... I thought I thought it was over, and uh, I get home. My wife says, "Why don't Why don't you go look in the church PO box and just see what's in there? You know, who knows?" And so I, I I go in there and I unlock the thing, and it's full of envelopes, full of checks, enough to pay us for the next month, enough to pay some of the bills. I then stand before the church and explain some of the details, and within two weeks, they've given in ways that I've never seen them give before. Uh, they, they take care of, of the debt. Then September rolls around, and these families start walking in, professors even, that we haven't had any professors in 11 years of ministry. And right now, our, our body is healthier financially and otherwise than it ever, ever has been in the history of our church. And that's after kicking out two church plants that we really shouldn't have done, but we did anyway. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's all over it. It's all over. So I want to commission you this morning. I want to commission you this morning. Now, in order to be commissioned, number one, you got to be a Christian. You, you have to come to the place where you understand that you have been, you, you've been separated from God because of your sin against God. And that because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can be forgiven. And you can be brought back in relationship with him. So you can't be on the mission until you cease being the mission field and become a missionary, right? So, so you've got to, to, to receive the gospel. Right? And that's just as simple as going to God in prayer and saying, God, I, I realize I need this. I need to be forgiven. I need to be brought into relationship with you. You can even, in the next few minutes, we're doing some music, communion, just have a moment with God and just say, I get it. I, I need this, Lord. Please forgive me. Please bring me into this relationship that we're talking about. And with that foundation laid, then becoming a part of this community. Right? So some of you I know are really vested in this community, in this church. And that's why it's still here. That's why it's continued on. And, and the ups and downs and struggles and challenges is because you said, this is my family, this is my mission, no matter what. They need more people to do that. They need more people to step out of just being attenders and coming on Sunday to consume religious goods and services and say, no, I'm devoted to this place like family, no matter what. Would you consider doing that? Would you consider, would you consider joining this church, consider becoming a part of this community in that way. Because you can't do this mission thing I'm talking about alone. It's not a Lone Ranger kind of American individualistic kind of, well, me and Jesus against the world. That's garbage. That just does not work. If you're going to make an impact in this world for Christ, you're going to do it because you've linked your life with a community that's on a mission. Then once you've linked your life, then it's time to roll up your sleeves and be a part of the mission. Figure out, where do I, where do I fit in this church, in the mission that this church is on? 
And then to begin to look in your spheres of influence. Because you're the missionary that's been planted in those spheres. At work, at school, in your neighborhood. You've been commissioned. This little Antioch has been given the gospel, filled with God's Holy Spirit, and sent out to gather the scattered into the city to bring the gospel to New York City. And then lastly, I would say, who's, who's the next church planter? Somebody in here? Called of God to be the next church planter. Or maybe the first, maybe the, the church planting core. They can't, they can't do it by themselves. It's a core of people that are willing to rally around that church planter and, and devote themselves to that kind of, of ministry and be the crazies. They go plant the gospel in a new way so that others can know. Why do we do all this? Because God did it first. God did it first. God is a community. The Father, the Son, the Spirit... And they're not just a community that's just kind of hanging out for themselves and, 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 and just, just connecting with themselves, although they are completely sufficient in that and could have a wonderful eternity with each other. But instead, they've chosen to step out of that community and be in fellowship with us. And part of how the Trinity has, has worked its purposes out is by coming to rescue us. Because the Trinity was on a mission. And the way they express that mission is that the Father sent the Son to die in our place. And then when we receive the Son, the Spirit then comes and does this new work, this new life in our lives. Every time we come to, to this table, so to speak, we're being reminded of that community that was on a mission who came after us, came to rescue us, came to save us. And on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and after he blessed it, he gave it to them saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's why the church does this over and over and over and over again to be reminded of the, of the rescue, of the salvation that God provided for us. And it was expensive. It was costly. Jesus bled and died and suffered for that mission. And then, because we've been able to take in that grace, we then are willing to lay our lives down for others. We're willing to bleed. We're willing to sacrifice. And it's nothing in comparison to the grace He's poured out on us. So let's pray. And if you're a follower of Christ, or maybe this morning you're, you're signing up, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to accept the grace that's being spoken about. And I encourage you to come up to the table and take, take the, the bread and dip it in the cup there. And when you're ready to take that as a way to remember what God has done for us in Christ. If you're here and you're not a Christian, 
We're really glad you're here. I know that folks that are, are part of this church, they want this to be a place where you can come and investigate and ask hard questions. And so if, if you're still at a place, you're like, I'm not sure, I get it yet, I got some, some questions, use this time just to, to meditate, to think, to pray, and um, talk to Ryan afterwards, or maybe one of the other leaders, and uh, they'd love to meet up with you, talk more about it. This, that's a big part of what this church is about, the mission that it's on, is helping walk people through their questions and help them to figure out what, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is this whole gospel thing? So I'm going to pray, and then uh, when you're ready, come up, take the cup and the bread. Lord, thank you that you are a community on a mission. You've come after us to love us and forgive us and rescue us and lay down your life for us. And we just allow that before we're going to do anything for you or be on any kind of a sacrificial mission, Lord. We're going to let the grace of that just wash over us this morning. Your absolute, unconditional forgiveness and acceptance of us as your sons and daughters. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the invitation to this to this table, to this fellowship with you and with your spirit. And then we pray, God, from, from that epicenter of our acceptance of your gospel, Lord, you would commission us this morning in a fresh way. Lord, open our eyes to, to what, what it means to not only be connecting relationally with people, but to be on a mission within this church and in the world. Lord, bless the cup, bless the bread. Make this more than, much more than a ritual. Make this a time of communion with you and with this fellowship. We pray these things in Jesus' name.